Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. If you take your bulletin and uh, look at the second page there, right after Lauda Anima, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. One thing that we're doing in our series in worship is talking about not only our lifestyle of relational worship of God as we walk with Him, but also what we do in our liturgy, what we do when we come together on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, and when we worship together. And today we're looking at confession. And you'll see that who led us in the prayer of confession? Kim. And did we listen closely to what she offered to the Lord as her spiritual sacrifice this morning? What did she say? She said, oh Lord, how we test your mercy and how true that is. But she also did it on our behalf with the assurance that when we pray and confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just. To do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of what? All unrighteousness. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. When we consider that, why do we do this? Well, there are a lot of reasons. Of course, it is one of the part of the process of living out the Christian life and walking closely with God. But are there precedents for that in Scripture, even before the gospel? And indeed, there are. Who made the first confession in the Bible? Well, it may be debated, but I would suggest to you that it was the fourth, fourth born of, uh, of Jacob, Judah, the ringleader who was responsible for leading the other brothers to betray his young brother Joseph and to sell him into slavery in Egypt. Judah was a pretty unsavory character in his younger days. Genesis, the 38th chapter, tells us that he went into a Canaanite woman and took her for his wife, and he had three children, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Not, not Selah, not that guy that's in the parentheses here, okay? And what happened? Ur then uh, was wicked, and the Lord took him. And then uh, Jacob said to uh, our uh, Judah said to uh, his, his wife, Tamar, I will give you then to the second son, Onan. And he told Onan to go in and to do his duty and to have children for his brother. And Onan refused to do that. And God took him. And that left then Shelah. And Judah promised, Tamar, you will have Shelah for your husband. But he's too young. He must grow up first. You know the story. He grew up and... Uh, the father did not give Shayla to her. And so what did she do? She heard he was coming to town. She was living with her dad, her Canaanite dad at that time. And she took off her widow's garments and she put on a robe and covered her face very much like a harlot. And she sat at the city gate. And when Judah came by, he then propositioned her. And you know what happened then. Uh, she conceived. He didn't know it at the time. But before he did this, she said, what will you give me 
in a, for this exchange. And he said, well, I'll give you a goat, but I don't have it with me. And so she said, what will you give as a token for that? Hmm. And she looked at the seal that he had around his neck and the cord and his staff. She said, if you will give me those as a token, that will be temporary payment. And so they had relations and she conceived and then he went away. And of course she became pregnant. She put back on her widow's garments and she began to show. And then it was when it was discovered, Judah said what? He didn't know, of course, that it was his daughter-in-law, Tamar. What did he say? Bring her in, and she must be put to death. She must be burnt and put to death. And then she did what? She said, well, I am expectant by the man who then gave me these tokens, this seal and this cord and this staff. And Judah, as unsavory as he had been, before that point, was convicted, and he said what? She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her my son, Shelah. This is probably the first incident of confession in the Old Testament, just outright confession of sin. And the other, that's, not the, that's not the end of the story. How many children did she have? Two, and the younger son actually came out first. The older son started to come out, and then he pulled back, and the younger son came out first, and he was the elder, and his name was Perez. And you will know that, of course, he was one of the ancestors of Obed and Jesse, and then David, and of the Lord. Confession. Confession. Confessing our sin. You know, in talking about worship, one way we defined it was, as you saw on the, uh, the bumper video, it is to walk with the Lord. Come, walk with me is the invitation. And God invites us to do that. And worship really, relational worship is that. It's walking with him faithfully every day, every moment. And last week, we looked at the other side of that coin. That doesn't mean that we can be casual about it. We are invited to come into the presence of the almighty God, Jehovah. Creator God, Elohim. And that is one reason that we then confess our sin. You see, he seeks persons who will worship him, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, in what way? In spirit and what? And in truth. And when we do this, we have life. We have a viable life with him. But when we reject him, we then do not walk in the light. We walk in the darkness, and we sin and we die. God sent his son. He so loved the world. He sent his son in order to do what? To return us. He beckons us then to return unto me. And he sent his son to recover us and to bring us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. But what do we do? On a regular basis, we sin. We sin in his face. We flirt with darkness. And he continues to bid us, return unto me. And we're promised in Scripture, the Scripture this morning from 1 John, that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. You see, Isaiah, once again, we turn back for a moment to Isaiah, the sixth chapter. He shows us the way. Then I said, woe is me, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of what? Unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of what? Unclean lips. 
You see, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the angels, one of the seraphim, flew to me. And he had a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken out of the fire with the tongs. And then he touched my lips, my unclean lips. He touched my mouth. And with it he said, Behold, with this I have touched your lips and your iniquity, your sin, your transgression is taken away from you. Your sin is forgiven. I think this is a proper lens for us to look at 1 John, the first chapter, verses 5 through 10 this morning. You see, what does the gospel then say as it follows up after Isaiah? What does the gospel tell us about confessing sin to God as we have done this morning? But as we should do every day, not just in our liturgical worship, but in our relational walk and our relational worship with God. What does the gospel tell us about confessing sin to God in the context of worship? What does this confession have to do with worship? Well, 1 John 1, 5 through 10 tells us. If you can, would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? This is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's have a seat. From this text, we see three or four things. Well, I'll say four specifically. First of all, we cannot truly worship God, whether it's in the context of liturgical worship or relational worship. We cannot truly worship God if we're walking where? In the darkness. A second thing is we're then faced with a decision. We are faced with this decision to make. We walk one of two paths. We either walk in the light or if we don't choose to walk in the light, we may not choose to walk in the darkness, but we walk in the darkness. So we have to choose which way we're going to walk. This passage also tells us that if we continue walking in the darkness, we are living what kind of life? If we continue to walk in the darkness, we're living a lie. We are liars. And then finally, the good news is if we confess our sin, God is faithful and he will forgive us of our sin. But not just forgive us. He will cleanse us. So let's take a look at the first of those. We cannot truly worship God if we walk in the darkness. Worship, as we've said, is embracing God's invitation to walk with him moment by moment, day by day, every second of our life. Since God is light, the scripture tells us, true worship is walking then with him obediently in the light, you see. When we do so, we also walk in fellowship. We walk in fellowship not only with him, but with, who else? with whom else? With fellow believers. So we walk in the light, we walk in fellowship. 
If we choose, however, to detour, to walk out of the light into the fringe, then we walk in darkness. And when we do that, we cast ourselves out. We separate ourselves from God and we walk in the darkness. And then we behave disobediently. And we fall out of fellowship, you see, with him. And consequently, not only out of fellowship with him, but with whom else? With obedient believers. If we then continue to say that we are in fellowship with him, then we're doing what? We're lying because we're not in fellowship with him. Even if we're Christ's followers, if we're walking in the darkness, we are not in fellowship with him. It doesn't mean that he abandons us, but we're not fellowshipping with him. We're not worshiping him. Instead, we're walking in the darkness. We're walking the sinful paths of disobedience to his word, and we're not practicing the truth. It says so clearly from this passage. Though we might still come to worship services, though we might still sit in the pew, though we might teach, maybe even in Sunday school, though we might serve as a deacon, though we might be the pastor of a church, if we are walking in darkness, we are not in fellowship with him, and we're out of fellowship with the body. In fact, we're out of fellowship not only with God, but with other obedient believers who still follow him. So you see, it's impossible if we're walking in the darkness to do true what? To do true worship, even if we're here on Sunday morning. You know, this part of the text tells us that God is light, and in him there is no what? No darkness. He's the creator of light. We know that. He's the father of lights from which comes which come every what? Good and perfect gift. He rescues us, Paul tells the Colossians. He rescues us from the darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That is supposed to have happened if we are Christ's followers. His son, Jesus Christ, has said, and he is the light of the world. He came into the world as the light. He himself was the light, and in him was life, and that was the what? Light of every human. And the light shines in the darkness, John tells us, and the darkness has not overcome it. He is the true light that was coming into the world, you see, and the darkness has not overcome it. And he gives true light to every person. You see, we walk as children of the light. If we follow him, we follow his purpose. And that was anyone who believes in him does not remain in the darkness. We come into the light. If we follow Jesus, then we are children of the light. We also become what? He said, I'm the light of the world. But he said, if you follow me, what did he say on the Sermon on the Mount? You're not only salt, but you're also what? Light. You're the light of the world. Not so that people will look at you and follow you because of your goodness, but they will look at the reflection of God's glory and the deeds that you commit, and it brings glory to the Father. That's the purpose of our being children of light. You see, if we obey Him, we walk as light in the world. And His unfolding light, the Scripture tells us in Psalm 119, from His Word, it unfolds and it then gives understanding to us and to others if we focus on his word. His word then, his living word, but also his written word is a light unto our what? Path and a what? A lamp unto our feet. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, 
what a glory he sheds on the way. While we do his goodwill, he does what? He abides. He's with us. He walks with us. He abides with us still with all who will trust and obey. If we obey him, then we have fellowship with him. And the hymn goes on to say this. Then in fellowship, sweet, we will sit at his feet or we will walk by his side on the way. What he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. You see, walking in the light. But when we disobey him, we walk in the darkness. Jesus declared, you know it clearly from John the 8th chapter. He said, I am the light of the world. And then he says, whoever follows me, then will what? Not walk in the darkness. Now, that can be applied in, in more than one way. Uh, what that can mean is this. If, if we follow him, it's kind of causative. If we follow him, then he will guide us where? Into the light and not into the darkness. Another way to read that is it's a sign of discipleship. You see, if on the other hand, we're not walking in the darkness, that means that we are what? We're following the light. But there are a couple of inferred meanings from this passage. It also is a kind of command. If you follow me, then you will not walk in the darkness. You hear the command in that. And there's the flip side of that. There's a warning. If you're walking in the darkness, then guess what? You're not following me as the light. What this tells us then, when we are in that mode, we, are, we actually become children of disobedience, which is the exact opposite of being children of the light. And we do the unfruitful deeds of darkness, Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 5. When we walk in the darkness, we cannot truly worship Him. You see, we're out of fellowship with God because we're not walking with Him. And this is manifested singularly this way. We have a disobedient lifestyle. And you know what? People notice it. We may not think that they notice it, but they do. We go out into the world as children of light, and if we're walking in the darkness, they can tell. It manifests itself in disobedient lifestyle that others can see. It also means that we're out of fellowship with believers. We're not walking with them. We say that we're children of the light, and we're walking with children of the light, but we're not. And how is this manifested? Now, here's where it really gets to the whole issue of worship. It usually leads to some kind of dissonance, some kind of discord in the body. For you see, if we're walking with fellow believers who are truly being obedient and we're walking in the darkness, there's going to be a friction there. There's going to be a tension there. There's going to be a problem there. There's going to be discord. You see, a sign of discord in worship in the church is when people are walking on the dark side. We don't do what? Jesus said to, said to us, when you come to worship, you come to the altar and you know that somebody has something against you, do what? Leave your gift at the altar, go straightway and be what? Reconciled. Then come off your gift. That's about worship. Well, folks, when we are walking in the darkness, we don't do that. We don't reconcile with one another. Does that affect worship? Absolutely. How does it manifest itself in discord and worship? When you stand praying, he says to them as they're looking at that withered fig tree, he says, when you stand praying and you have something against someone else, then do what? Immediately, he doesn't say go and be reconciled. He says, immediately do what? Forgive them. 
And you see, when we're walking on the dark side, we don't do that. We don't forgive. Oh, I'm not going to forgive unless that person then comes and begs my forgiveness. That's not what the scripture says. It says do what? Immediately. Forgive them. When we're walking on the dark side, it affects worship. When we harbor hatred, animosity, or just significant irritations with brothers and sisters in the body. 1 John in the second chapter further says this. It is a sign of that discord, not only in relationship, but worship of God. The one who says that he is in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now, it says. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Don't tell me that when we walk in the darkness, it doesn't affect our worship. It clearly does. Secondly, when we, make, we have a decision to make, and this is obvious. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount we have a decision to make. What is the choice? We either continue walking in the darkness as non-believers, or even if we're believers, we can walk the dark paths of disobedience. Either we continue to walk in the darkness, remaining out of fellowship with God and with the body, with other believers, or we what? We return unto me. We return unto God. We return to the light. You see, Jesus said this after the great passage, John 3.16, you know, the great salvation passage, gospel passage. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever does what? Believes in him shall not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. But he goes on then to talk a little bit later about the significance of what he's just said. This is the verdict, you see. You see, light has come into the world, and men loved what? Darkness instead of light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But you see, for the ones who practice the truth, and that's what John's talking about. He said, if, if you say that you don't have sin, you're lying, and you don't practice the truth. Jesus said, if we're in the light, we practice the truth, and we come into the light so that the deeds that we have performed will be manifested to show that they are done by God, not by us. So you see, Jesus is making a very clear distinction. We're either children of the light or we walk in the darkness. He made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you must choose whom you will serve. You cannot serve two masters. You will either serve the world or you will serve God. You will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, walk in the light, and serve the world and walk in darkness. We either follow the God of this world or we follow the God of light. Paul tells the Corinthians, the God of this world, you see the God of darkness, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. For God who said, light shall shine in the darkness is the one who has shone in the heart in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 1 John is very clear in this passage. We have a decision to make, a choice to make, and it affects our worship. It affects our liturgical worship, and it affects our daily walk with the Lord. We have a choice to make, either walk the path of darkness 
or walk the path of light. Thirdly, if we continue walking in darkness, we are living a what? We're living a lie. If we continue to walk in darkness but refuse to admit that we are sinners, we, are on, we have only whom to blame? Only ourselves. We blame others. We blame God. We blame people that we have animosity toward. But you know, the discord and discontentment that we feel in our lives as a result is only whose fault. It's only ours. Because we're living lives of self-deception. You see, even if we continue attending worship services... Even if we continue play acting that we're following God in the light, we know in our hearts that this is not true worship because the truth is not in us. We know the truth is not in us. Even worse, this passage, 1 John, says something rather alarming. You say, if we are habitually sinning and we, we are pretending that we're walking in the light, and following Christ, we're posturing as God's representatives. We make God a liar. Wow. What does that mean? We're actually misrepresenting God. And others see that. And in fact, His Word is not in us. And we're not practicing the truth. We make God out to be a liar. What are some of the signs of living a lie and walking in the darkness? Well, John tells us in First John. On four different occasions, he gives us illustrations of what it's like to walk, to, to live the lie. If we, have, if, if we say we have fellowship with God in this passage, and yet we're in, in the darkness, that's living a lie. In chapter 2, he says, if we say that we know Christ, we know him. Not just know about him, but we know Christ. But if we do not keep his commandments, we are living a what? A lie. Later in chapter 2, it says, those that deny that Jesus is the Christ, they deny the Father and the Son, they're living a lie. Now, you might say, well, I don't do that. I, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But if our lives and the way we are living them denies, deny Christ, it's a lie. In chapter 4, another sign of living a lie is if we say that we love God, I love God. But we actually hate our brother, our sister. We're living a lie. And he, and he says something really interesting. He, he says here, how, how can we love God? How can we love God whom we cannot see if, in fact, we don't love our brother or sister whom we can see? We're living a lie. We make God a liar. This is the height of anti-worship. We make God a liar. What does he mean there in that last verse when he says that we, we make God a liar? You see, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Well, God's not a liar. But, but actually what it means is we make him out to be a liar. I think it goes something like this. You see, God's word says that everyone has done what? Sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is a sinner. We know that. When we say that we're not sinners, we deny the Word of God. In other words, we make His Word a lie. We're saying that's not true. God is a liar. We make Him out to be a liar. You know, this is explained a little bit later in, in the fifth chapter of 1 John. When, when he says, the one who does not believe God has made him a liar. 
That's what this, this, this phrase means in the first chapter. It means that when we don't believe God, then we are acting like he is a liar. That's the height of anti-worship. It's the opposite of trusting and walking with him. It's saying God's word is a lie and I don't trust him and I'm not going to walk with him. That is unworship, friends. You see, deceptive walking is the opposite of worship. Deceptive walking, walking the lie, is the opposite of worshiping in spirit and in what? Truth. Chapter 1, verse 6, the passage that we just read says, If we walk in the darkness, we do not practice, what does it say? The truth. Hmm. A a little bit later in verse number 8, When we say we have no sin, what is not in us? The truth is not in us. And in in verse number 10, it says, we then make God to be a liar. That means that his word, his word of truth is not in us. Deceptive walking is the opposite of true worship. Because we cannot worship in spirit and in truth. Because why? The truth is not in us. And then last of all, we see that the great news. That if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, if we, and I'm going to paraphrase and add a little bit to that in the context of the gospel this morning. You see, if we choose to return to him, return unto me, he says then, we must first be what? We can't just walk into the presence of God with all of our sin, can we? No. Sin cannot come into the holy presence of God without being destroyed. That sin must be destroyed. We must be cleansed of our sin and restored to fellowship. This can be accomplished only in one way, and that is by God's what? God's grace. Being cleansed through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, who poured out His lifeblood as a sacrifice to pay for your and my sins, so that He might do what? Then He might rescue us from where? The fringes. Rescue us from where? The dark side. And bring us back into God's marvelous light so that we can walk in fellowship with Him. If we choose to do this, if we choose to receive God's gracious gift of redemption, then He promises us something. He says, I will restore you. First, we must do what? And this isn't just a one-time thing. Now, we're to repent. That's true. But this isn't just a one-time thing. We're regularly to confess our sins. Confess our sinfulness. In doing so, we we repent. We change the direction that we've been going. Not the detour of darkness, but we then choose our intent is to walk in the light and to receive His Word again unto us. To receive again the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ to which we respond. Now, He never departs from us. But to be aware that he is there, his living word, Jesus Christ. To receive his written word that instructs us in how to walk into the light. And together they, they guide us in the paths of, of light and righteousness. When, when we make this kind of confession, he promises. He is faithful. He is just to us. And he will forgive our sins and he will cleanse us of unrighteousness. What does this do? It eradicates the barrier that is between us and God. And it makes us holy and acceptable in his sight. 
And it then restores that fellowship that we have with him. And it also restores fellowship with the other believers. And this leads to true worship. Walking with God moment by moment, as we should, and walking in harmony with the brothers and sisters in Christ, serving him obediently as the body of Christ who has forgiven us and has us in right relationship with him. You see, worship indeed is walking with God. And if that's true, if worship is walking with God, then confession is talking with God. You see, it's the beginning of the conversation anew with God, whereby we open up to Him, and the word confess, confess actually means this. It means to say the same thing along with. It means to agree with. It means to concede. So when we confess, we are agreeing to something. Fill in the blank. We confess our sin. We are agreeing not to sin. We are agreeing that we are what? We are sinners. It's an admission. We concede before God that we're sinners. And he is faithful. He fulfills his promise. Psalm 103 says that he will pardon. We read it earlier today. He will pardon all of our iniquities. He's faithful. He is just. He demonstrates his righteousness to us. Paul tells us in Romans what this means. The demonstration of God's righteousness is this, that he will be just as the justifier of the one who believes. So he is faithful, he fulfills his promise, he is just, he is fair, and he's true to his word, and he makes us right if we believe in him. If we confess, then he forgives our sin. What does it mean to forgive our sin? It literally means to send it away, to cancel it, to remit it, to send it away. How far? How far away? We read it earlier, as far as the what? East is from the West. Micah tells us that he cap casts our sin, as it were, into the utter depths of the what? Of the sea. He throws our sin, Isaiah says in chapter 38. He throws our sin behind his back. He sees it no more. That's what it means for him to forgive our sin. The distance of our sin from the sinner then is so far removed from us that he doesn't even see it anymore. If we confess, he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. That means that he cleanses. He makes us spotless. He makes us pure. And not only that, he not only makes it that way, he pronounces us cleansed. He publishes that as a fact. You see, in verse number 7, it says something rather curious. It says, uh, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. If we're not careful, we can read that as a causative statement. If, I, if I'm walking in the light, then he does what? Then he cleanses us of our sin. That's not what it means. If we're walking in the light, this gives evidence that he has done what? That he has cleansed us of our sin. And we walk in fellowship with him because he has cleansed us. We are not made right because we choose to walk with him. No, he chooses to cleanse us when we confess our sin. And it's a total eradication. The word here for cleansing is really the root word from which we get to cauterize. Think about that. You have a wound, you clean the wound, and then you do what? You cauterize the wound so that it might what? 
heal. So this cleansing is more than just washing away the debris of sin. It is cauterizing it. And in fact, it is such that although we may see the scars on our soul, he eradicates it. It is removed completely. It is erased. Isaiah says this, I, God speaking, even I, God speaking, am the one who wipes away your transgressions for my own sake. And I will what? I will remember them no more. Jeremiah says much the same thing. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That is something we cannot do. It is impossible for humans to forget. Now I know that, yeah, well, mm, wow, that's a promise, isn't it? <laughs> the, the older we get, yeah, we forget things, I know, I know. But, you know, if, if you tell yourself, I'm going to forget this thing, unless you have 100% Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, if, if you say, I'm going to forget this thing, the more you say, I forget it, you do what? You remember it. And in that respect, it's impossible for us to forget these things. We, we feel and see the scars on our souls. But you know what? With God, nothing is impossible. It is, po it is possible for God. And this is impossible for me to understand. It is possible for an omniscient God who knows everything to choose to forget things. Oh, you, you may say, well, that's impossible. He's omniscient. But you need to remember this. He is also what? Omnipotent. He has the power to forget if he cho chooses to do so. And he promises us, folks, he will not hold it against us. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood? In the what? The soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The promise of this scripture is that if we confess our sin, we admit freely that we're sinners and we cannot save ourselves, that He is faithful. He fulfills His promise. He is just and fair. He makes us righteous by doing what? Forgiving our sin because Jesus Christ paid for it on the cross and put sin to death on the cross and cleanses us of all unrighteousness because his blood washes the scarlet sin away and makes us white as snow. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gamble Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.